Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that's currently too hot for YouTube. That's right. A few days ago, YouTube gave me a completely random strike, supposedly for something that I did last summer. They won't tell me what, so I can't post or broadcast anything on YouTube right now. The funny thing is, I don't remember doing anything naughty last summer. Maybe it was my co-host, Lucy Morgan Edwards. Lucy, did you do anything naughty last summer? Well, probably, Kevin, because I think we got uh, banned on one of the shows that I did with you, maybe in the spring. But it obviously probably is all your fault. <laughs> Going back through all the old shows, I guess. The good news, though, is that since we're not on YouTube, we can genuinely question everything, not only during the first 15 minutes that's not on YouTube, but throughout the entire show. So we are going to punish the censors today by engaging in an unusually frank discussion of the issues that they don't want anybody to talk about. So please help us punish the censors. Donate to the fundraiser. And if you're not in a position to help us out financially, spread the word about False Flag Weekly News to all of your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, household pets, and especially your close contacts. That's right. YouTube is not helping us spread the word, so we depend on you. All right. Well, hey, uh, Lucy, what do you think about the – I guess we have to do another disclaimer. One more disclaimer here. I can't remember which disclaimer uh, follows which other disclaimer. But after the question everything, we uh, we are very disturbing. Uh, so if you're too disturbed, and if you've had the vax, you'd better uh, change the channel because you're, you're at a higher risk of heart issues. Nope. Am I allowed to say that? Yes, I am now. Okay. And we are, we're not offering medical advice. <laughs> this is just political commentary, opinions, uh, sometimes a little bit of humor, uh, and other times sheer outrage, but it's not medical advice. Okay. Done with the disclaimers. Here we go with the show. Um, our theme picture today is Bill Gates apologizing for the smallpox vial that was discovered in the back of his refrigerator. Um, and if you want to read about that, that's actually satire, but like a lot of satire these days, it kind of writes itself. And uh, we will get to that later. Meanwhile, let's get to the serious material here, Lucy. Um, and let's talk about the things that you absolutely cannot talk about on YouTube, such as this study showing that in England, vaccinated adults are dying at twice the rate of unvaccinated people of the same age. And this has been going on for about six months. Now, the question is, does that mean that if you get vaxxed, that doubles your chances of death? Probably not, because it's very likely that the older segment of this population, the people pushing 60, are going to be getting vaxxed a lot more than the 10-year-olds. And so they're a lot more likely to die anyway, vaxxed or not vaxxed. So it isn't necessarily true that getting vaxxed uh, is going to double your chances of death. But hey, more research is necessary. And this, this, these numbers certainly don't uh, underline the extreme efficacy of a need to get vaxxed to save your life. You're going to die if you don't get vaxxed. Uh, doesn't look like that. What do you think, Lucy? Yeah, I mean, this, the numbers look quite stark and they are government figures from the last six months, apparently between the age of 10 and uh, 59 years old, 60 years old. Uh, per 100,000 people. And Alex Berenson, who wrote this piece, he, he says, he concludes that this is, these excess deaths are vaccine-induced mortality. There has also been similar data in recent months uh, with teenage boys. Suddenly there's been a higher excess death rate of teenage boys, which correlates with when the, the vaccinations, the COVID vaccinations were introduced for teenage boys, and, and some of them have been dying of, of inflammation around the heart. And myocarditis and so on. 
So there, there does seem to be a pattern here, and it would be good if we, instead of having censorship, that we were allowed to discuss these things openly, and that scientists and, and, and medical doctors were able to, to look at this data and talk about it frankly and openly. But that doesn't seem to be the environment that we're living in at the moment. I, I would be a lot less worried about the vaccines if there was that open discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and one of the things that should be discussed is this new study that refers to scores on the pulse test, the PULS or protein unstable lesion signature test, which gives people a score on nine protein biomarkers that are linked to what's happening in the heart tissue. And based on that score, you can estimate people's chances of having serious heart problems in the next few years. When the score goes up, it's bad news. And guess what? Uh, it looks like vaccines are driving people's scores on this test way up, meaning that protein signatures of uh, heart damage are showing up in their bloodstreams. Obviously, this needs to be discussed and investigated. And again, the mm-hmm. fact that we're not allowed to talk about it and that YouTube will nuke our channel if we try to broadcast any discussion of this uh, genuine <laughs> scientific story on YouTube just shows us that they don't really believe their own arguments. I mean, sub- yeah. subconsciously, they must know that there's something really wrong here. Yeah, what's interesting is that this guy, he, uh, Dr. Steve Gundry, he's apparently a renowned U.S. cardiologist, a uh, cardiosurgeon, and director of the International Heart and Lung Institute at Palm Springs. And they have their own journal, which is called Circulation which is a, a well-established and, and respected journal. And in fact, Dr. Peter McCullough, uh, who's the Texan doctor, he's also a cardio specialist, he's referred to this article in recent days. And um, what Gundry's reporting is that the pulse score dramatically changes after the Pfizer and Moderna mRNA COVID shots are introduced to the body. And he says that that, that might explain the death of the athletes and so on. Uh, the test was conducted on 566 patients aged 28 to 97 years old. And their conclusions were that the, the, um, the mRNA vaccines dramatically increase inflammation of the endothelium and T cell, um, infiltration of the cardiac muscle and may account for the observation of increased thrombosis, cardiomyopathy and other vascular events following vaccination. And it, there's also a piece on this in uh, Global Research. And in that piece, uh, someone called Dr. Jesse Santiago comments saying that the rupture of the unstable coronary plaques leading to heart attack is the most likely response reason why these athletes have been dropping dead in the middle of soccer matches and so on. Uh, and they also say that these pulse scores will get higher with the booster shots. And therefore, of course, the danger will get higher and that the risk is that there'll be long term damage to the hearts of children and teenagers who have been given the mRNA vaccines, even though the risk of death from COVID is itself minuscule for that age group. So I think this is really worth this is something that's really worth looking at. Uh, I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. This is one of the most uh, serious uh, issues that's been raised so far about these mm-hmm. supposedly safe vaccines. Well, we're all being hit with uh, propaganda such as these anecdotes about, oh, this guy dying of COVID wishes he's been vaccinated. With his last breath, he begs us to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Well, here's kind of the flip side of that story. A guy who's dying from the vaccine, who's with his last breath is begging us not to take the vaccine. 
So, you know, these kinds of anecdotes are not really evidence in the same way that the previous story uh, reports on genuine evidence for vaccine harm. But um, the fact is that it just shows that you can come up with whatever anecdotes you want. The mainstream uh, propagandists can come up with their anecdotes and the other side can come up with their anecdotes. And these things really do happen. There are clearly there are uh, people who have uh, been harmed and killed by the vaccines, just as there are people who have died from COVID. I mean, this this and this is a personal story. This guy didn't really have a dog in the fight. So I would say that these you know, our, our knowledge is also made up of personal stories. And he clearly felt that he had an immediate reaction to the vaccine. And that was what put him in ICU for three weeks after taking the Moderna shot. And he wanted to reveal his story. He says that the nurses begged him to reveal his story, uh, that the medical profession was hiding the true number of deaths from COVID vaccines. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a sad story, but it is, a, it, you know, it's important nevertheless. Yeah. So, so his name is uh, Mike Granada, a 56-year-old. And uh, may, uh, may may Allah uh, forgive and and let him uh, into paradise. Okay, our next uh, story is on one of the most worrisome issues here of all of these mm-hmm. issues that we're not allowed to talk about on YouTube, and that is the mass vaccination of children. Uh, this is from Robert Kennedy Jr.'s Children's Health Defense Newsletter, and uh, he's suggesting that these 14 members of ACIP which are the CDC's uh, Committee on Immunization Practices, uh, maybe really should get some pushback for voting to authorize these shots for 5 to 11-year-olds. And just right after that authorization came through, 900,000 children got uh, injected. And looking at these previous stories, especially these issues, uh, uh, these hard issues, it really is uh, very, very worrisome, as you said, Lucy, mm-hmm. given that these age groups, these young children, are facing virtually no danger from COVID at all. Uh, and, and so when you're harming these children, supposedly to protect their grandparents, but the data isn't uh, very strong on that either, uh, it seems like something's gone wrong here. Um, I don't know what's behind it, but I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's definitely they, they, the regulatory capture by Big Pharma, as we saw 25 years ago with Monsanto and the FDA and the USDA, that, that they actually, the regulatory agencies, is a big revolving door uh, between industry and the regulators. And in that case, Monsanto, they actually owned the patent on the Roundup Ready, um, the, you know, soy, soya. So uh, I think it's the same thing playing itself out, which just reflects that our governments are not re- representing us. They are representing big business. And I think in this case, uh, this has also been covered by global research as well as um, children's health defense. But there was also a meeting of, of the FDA's Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee, uh, VRBAC, on the 26th of October. And both that meeting and the ACIP one uh, were described by children's health defense uh, mother, Mary Holland, who has a vaccine-damaged child, as being a total sham. Uh, she also, the the irony is that the, the British Medical Journal, Journal actually published on that same day as, as, as the, the meeting of the VRBAC, a whistleblower's account of the data integrity issues in the Pfizer, Pfizer clinical trials, which were apparently hair-raising. So, you know, the fact that they voted 14 to, to zero to, to okay this, uh, for children and, um, 
that uh, you know that they didn't they didn't consider the fact that that there's no no long term safety on this. There's a complete lack of data at the moment on the risk, for example, of heart problems like the ones experienced by adolescents. Uh, so it does seem that there's a major problem going on there. And um, there was also a comment on the global research piece, which which I'm just mentioning. We haven't got it on our list, but the chair of the of the November, the person who chaired the November meeting of the ACIP was Grace Lee, who previously served as principal investigator on the CDC's vaccine safety data link. Uh, and Brian Hooker, who's who was formerly working for the CDC, who's who's now working for the Children's Health Defence, he said that the CDC has shut up this VSD like a fortress, despite the fact that it's taxpayer funded. So this means that there isn't any way that you can analyze the vaccine adverse events and the, the problems because the CDC has just clamped down on all that information. So um, again, you know, major problem and, and huge uh, opacity in, in the regulatory process. It's not good for children. And when we do look at the data that we can get our hands on, whether it's from the British government, which collects very good data, the Israeli government, a lot of people don't trust them, but I'm not sure their health data is as bad as some of their other policies. Mm. And then these large scale sort of overviews of entire countries uh, and things like that. The data really does not support this idea that everybody must get vaxxed and you'll be in such greater danger if you're not. And and uh, and, and at the places where everybody gets vaxxed are doing great. And the, it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated, all this stuff. Turns out that the numbers don't really support that. In the next slide, we see that the scientists are mystified and weary because <laughs> unvaccinated Africa is totally avoiding uh, a, a disaster with COVID. In fact, the problems there are so few and far between that hardly anybody even notices that there is a pandemic. Um, yet fewer than 6% of people in Africa are vaccinated. Mm. Uh, so what's that about? Um, it's been uh, throughout this pandemic, the WHO has been describing Africa as one of the least affected regions in the world. And that's continued. Whereas, as we see in the next slide, in heavily vaccinated Europe, uh, where about 70% of the population is vaccinated as opposed to 6% in Africa, there's a huge <laughs> surge happening right now. Um, Germany is uh, supposedly experiencing a terrible surge. 70% of Germans are vaccinated. Portugal, which has an 86% vaccination rate, which is about as high as it's realistically ever going to get anywhere, is now uh, having to reintroduce restrictions due to a surge. So these kinds of kind of disjunctions uh, between, you know, what's happening in the unvaccinated places versus the heavily vaccinated places really do sort of make you wonder about how these vaccines can be sold to us as a total uh, solution. <laughs> I guess maybe it is a final solution, but maybe not to yeah. the problem they're telling us. Right, right. I mean, it certainly seems like an apocalypse to me. Uh, and, and, and then could you just put up that next study? Uh, I don't know if we have a slide for that, where you have this physician, Ulta Bergner, in, in Germany, in Thuringia, in the state of Thuringia, who does, presented a speech on the 17th of November. Yeah, we don't have that slide, but go ahead. Okay. Well, she presented an alarming study on the 17th of November, which concluded that the higher the vaccination rate, the higher the excess mortality. I think there's something like uh, 16 or 17 states in Germany, where uh, the, the there's it's very clear that the higher the vaccine rate, vaccinated rate, the higher the the excess mortality, and that seems to tie in with these other stories that we've been covering so far today. 
Right. And of course, correlation isn't causation, as of course the skeptics will tell us. But when you have enough of these kinds of correlations and you have a complete lack of the kind of correlations that you would want to see if you're advocating mass vaccination, mm. it, after a while, it really starts to add up. Mm. And you, you know, one way or another, I mean, you have to admit that the propaganda is over the top. I mean, you, you know, whatever the actual your position on, on vaccines is, and there mm. are rational positions to some extent, I think, on different sides of this issue. Nobody, uh, no rational person could fail to admit that the mainstream propaganda has been lopsided uh, just over the top. But even so, the mm -hmm. dissident views are getting out. And in the next slide, look at this. RFK Jr., who I actually voted for for president, uh, mm -hmm. has a number one New York Times bestseller or number one Amazon bestseller. I don't know about New York Times. It's the best-selling book in America. And Tony Lyons of Skyhorse Publishing points out that you won't read about it in any newspaper. If you try to advertise it, even on the online platforms, they just give you this notice that you're not allowed to advertise it. And he says it's really crazy that this can happen in America. And so despite this total blackout, except mm. for the Tucker Carlson show, RFK Jr.'s new book on Tony Fauci, The Real Anthony Fauci, is uh, is the number one bestseller in the nation. So the the propagandists are really shooting themselves in the foot with this strategy of of uh, one-sided propaganda everywhere all the time, shut out all opposing views. That just makes us suspicious, and it actually ends up helping uh, RFK Jr. sell his book, which is all to the good. Yes, ir ironic that it's the number one bestseller on Amazon because Jeff Bezos is, of course, all in on on this whole Great Reset agenda. Uh, but yeah, he, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., I haven't seen the book yet, but I'm de definitely going to be ordering it, uh, exposes Fauci's history with AZT, apparently, and, and, and the gay ma male situation uh, going back to the 1980s and says that many, many people died unnecessarily uh, because because of Fauci's hand in, in, in running, running that. And I think he says, I, I heard an interview where he was, saying that really what's going on now is a replay of what happened then. And he's never been indicted, but he's essentially a, crim a criminally psychopathic charlatan. That's what he sounds like. Uh, so I think everyone should read this book. Everyone should buy it for their relatives for Christmas because we need to know this. Mm -hmm. Well, according to this article, Bobby Kennedy worked 16 hours a day, seven days a week for nine months on the book, gave his whole heart and soul to it. Mm. And um, I actually uh, heard from Ron Unz urging me to read it. He, Ron Unz at the right. Unz Review has been kind of at war with the sort of extreme uh, anti, uh, anti mainstream discourse people in, in COVID and vaccine issues. Mm. But now he's, he's coming around a little bit and he's, uh, he, very much seemed to think that this was a worthwhile book. He says he's not sure about a few of the issues that it raises, but he, you know, he opened it expecting it to be what he's been calling, you know, anti-vaxxer crack pottery and so on. And no, it was actually very impressive. So mm. uh, we really should probably be trying to get this book into the hands of people like Ron and other open-minded people who haven't been on our side before. Uh, if it can change his mind, it could maybe change other minds as well. Well, let's move to Europe. Lucy, that's where you are. And you're yeah. in the thick of things right now. Europe is the front lines of this. Yeah. Uh, here's a really interesting piece in the Washington Post of all places, um, shouting cries of freedom and resistance. Europe's vac unvaccinated are in open rebellion. Lucy, are you in open rebellion? 
Well, we might be after tomorrow in Switzerland because we've we've got our referendum, but we're coming to that slide in a minute. I think the next one. But uh, yes, I mean, there's there was a lot of uh, there were a lot of marches last weekend, a lot of demonstration. There, there were two people shot in Rotterdam. I, I spoke to someone from Holland last week, and he said that the police were using these live bullets. He said they're not Dutch police; they've been brought in from elsewhere. They don't know where. And that these were the, these people who were protesting, many of them were um, port workers who didn't want to take the mandatory vaccination and wanted to be able to continue their, their work. Uh, of course, that's going to affect the supply chain as well. Um, so, yes, maybe resistance is growing. Of course, a lot of it's not covered by the mainstream media at all. Um, or, or miscovered. Uh, here, here's yes, what Rose talking about an orgy of violence in Rotterdam. Oh, that doesn't sound yes. like much fun. Well, that was the, again, it's the Bezos owned Washington Post, isn't it? Um, yes, of course. That, that, so what do you expect? You know, anti-vaxxers. I mean, I, you know, I object to people using this term anti-vaxxers. Most people who decide not to vaccinate their children, whether it's with childhood vaccines or whether it's with COVID vaccines, they do so on the basis of a great deal of research. And um, I think that in this environment, in this climate where we just have this top down censorship uh, and you have smearing of people who make decisions based on their own research, uh, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's not helpful to use the term anti-vaxxer. But what, what else would one expect from The Washington Post? Uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, what we're saying is that this resistance, what worries me is that when you look at documents like the lockstep, lockstep document and the um, the dark window scenario, which I think I sent you this week, it was uh, an interview with um, Rainer Fulmich, someone giving evidence to Rainer Fulmich about the, the dark winter scenario, which was gamed out at Andrews Air Force Base in June 2001. You can see very clearly that that dark winter scenario was the precursor to event 201. And then you have the, the lockstep document of 2010, funded by the Rockefellers, and the SPARS scenario and SPARS document and so on. So what's scary is that they've anticipated this resistance. They've anticipated that people will be out on the streets and that there will be civil unrest. And I'm, I'm concerned that the next, that they're not scared by this. The next stage is probably going to be martial law and it's going to be a much heavier hand. And of course, all the time, with with their narrative that that all of this and you know the fear narrative of of this all being related to the unvaxxed spreading these co this covid variants i mean you know when when they brought in this idea of this new variant yesterday uh that the who named a new variant and said that it comes from southern africa i mean it's it's just getting beyond a joke i mean that they clearly they're so clearly rolling out another new variant so that they can just roll out the next stage of the police state. And, and, and scientifically, Lucy, this discussion of this new amazing variant is yeah. uh, is interesting because they're saying that there's so many mutations. They can't believe how many mutations there are. Right. How uh, they know? Well, the reason they can't believe yeah. it is because accidental mutations, there, should, there probably shouldn't be that many accidental mutations. So it kind of looks like it's bioengineered to me just based yeah. on that early discussion. Well, if indeed there is one, because um, as we're seeing, <laughs> right. there's a lot of people are dying because of the vaccines. And then we had empty hospitals last year, and now the, the hospitals are full. And we've had a lot of misreporting of deaths, as you've seen from John Looney, the, the British funeral director. Uh, so 
you know, there's, there's a huge amount of deception that's going on in this in this whole thing. At least the Washington Post is admitting that uh, people are marching, thousands are marching in Belgium, Croatia, Italy, Northern right, Ireland. But they're underreporting the figures. 40, they said 40,000 in Vienna. So if that's an underreport, that... I think that it was way more than that in Vienna. I, wow. I also heard from someone who's Austrian the other day that it was more like hundreds of thousands and it was totally wow. underreported. Wow. So, yeah. In Australia, too, uh, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, and Adelaide all had thousands, they, the Washington Post says, which probably mm. means tens of thousands or more. Um, and France deployed special police forces to overseas territory in Guadeloupe after the protesters there set fire to cars and blocked roads and so on and so forth. And, mm. and the Washington Post analyzes this by saying that European leaders are embracing novel coercive techniques to compel the unvaccinated to do their civic duty and take the shots. Uh, setting up a political experiment that's being closely watched on the other side of the Atlantic. So right. if they can do it to you, Lucy, they're going to do it to us over here. Well, you're talking about the, the QR codes now and the, uh, the, the, the technocracy. Yes. It, it yes. That way. Uh, well, yes. as well as the, the mind control and the, the applied behavioral psychology. Right. Yes. Well, I mean, we, you know, we can't even in Switzerland now because the government gave itself emergency powers. I, you know, I can't even go into a cafe without, without this vaccine certificate, uh, without a COVID passport. You can't, you can still go and buy food without a QR code. But I, I think that they're For trying to increase the noise around changing that so that soon we will not be able to do, we won't even be able to do that without a QR code. So, um, it's gone beyond a joke. Well, here on the other side of the Atlantic, we do have the Second Amendment. We are armed and we will fight for our freedom. So just putting you guys on notice, anybody who's thinking about uh, locking us down here, um, mm. it's not going to be pretty if you try. And there are plenty of states where they've elected uh, local and state governments that feel that way, too. So I don't think they're going to get away with it here in the U.S., but mm. we'll, we'll see. I mean, they're going to push it as far as they can. Uh, so how about the Swiss referendum tomorrow, Lucy? November 28th, that's tomorrow. Yeah. They're voting. The citizens of Switzerland are voting on the March 19th, 2021 COVID law, the amend amendments for it. And this could be, uh, could be a huge sort of turning point, not just for Switzerland, but for Europe and the world, uh, especially if the, mm. uh, if the good guys can win. Uh, what are our chances? Right. I mean, I, I'm not holding out a huge amount of hope. But I think the fight's going to go on. Um, the, 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 the problem is, is that the Swiss federal government gave itself emergency powers under these COVID laws. I think it was September 2020. And amazingly, these powers have no sunset clause until 2031, which is, of course, the year after Agenda 2030 will have been implemented, which is quite suspicious. Uh, the, the problem with the vote tomorrow is that they've deliberately worded it in a very ambiguous way. So that people don't understand that if they vote yes for this COVID law, what they're voting for is a technocracy. It's not to do with the virus. What you're voting for is that you won't be able to do anything in your life. You will be excluded from your life unless you have this digital identity document and this uh, digital passport. Uh, so, I mean, the other day I, I, I wanted to, to go to a cafe. I was waiting for my son for an hour. I was in a cold place. I wanted to go into a cafe and I couldn't go in because, you know, because I didn't have the, the, the COVID pass. So um, I, I'm afraid a lot of the Swiss are confused. They don't realize they think this. they're all in fear because they've been so hypnotized by the mainstream media, which is as bad here as it is everywhere else. Uh, and so d even despite 
the fact that that we have this direct democracy, I still think that the globalists have actually got in and influenced the federal government far more far more than they had a few years ago. And to give an example of that, I moved away from Switzerland for several years and then I moved back um, last year. During the time that I was away, Amazon has really got its claws into Switzerland now because previously, if you ordered anything from Amazon, you had to pay high taxes on the products when they arrived. And that was supposed to be to protect local stores, businesses and so on. But now, if you order something from Amazon, you don't pay any tax when it arrives. Yes, it's convenient, but it's, it's not good for local businesses. But yes, if you order something from another online store internationally, you do pay the taxes. So why is it that Bezos is getting this preferential treatment in Switzerland? And that's happened since I've been away and come back. And it, I, I do find it quite surprising. Well, the oligarchs run the West, and so I guess what they say goes, yeah. and that'll continue until we overthrow them, uh, hopefully uh, ASAP. Right. Uh, well, over in Australia, they're moving to the next step, which is concentration camps for COVID dissidents. Yeah. You know, I, I had a guest on my radio show last week who ranted obscenely at me for the entire hour, screaming at me to take the jab uh, with all kinds of four-letter words peppered in there, mm-hmm. and then when I, you know, at she, she basically wants to kill all, all the unvaxxed. She said, well, you want to send us to the concentration camp? You want to send us to the gas chambers? And she said, uh, no, COVID will do the job. Uh, so this is kind of the mentality that's growing. And over in Australia, they're already opening up the concentration camps. So the Australian army has been forcibly removing residents of the Northern Territories to the Howard Springs quarantined camp in mm-hmm. Darwin, Australia. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. Well, they better not try that here is all I can say. Yes. I mean, this is really chilling. And at the moment, it's being it's the focus is on Aboriginals. And I saw uh, a video by one of the tribal elders or two of them, a woman and then a different one with a man. And I mean, the woman was saying, of course, you know, we need people to come and document this now uh, for human rights reasons. And the, the man in, in his um, video was saying that this is basically a land grab. This is really about resources and rare earths and so on in the Northern Territories. And I think he linked it to to Chinese influence. I'm not absolutely sure uh, in Australia, but it, you know, he, the, um, essentially what's happening there is going to potentially spread uh, to the rest of the world and, and to us. So we all need to, to wake up. And I know quite a lot of Australians here in Geneva and they, they don't really seem too bothered by what's going on there. And I mean, there is this incredible woman, I think Heidi Smith, her name is SMIT, who's been interviewed last week on UK Column. I think it's on Friday, and she's trying to organise demonstrations outside Australian embassies and missions in the rest of the world. She's already been put in solitary confinement for 28 days in Australia. But on the 4th of December, I believe it is, I think it's Reignite Democracy Australia uh, is the website. She wants everyone to go to Australian missions on the 4th of December to demonstrate for the human rights of Australians. And also to offer them asylum, because what's happening in Australia now is really not that different um, to what was going on in, in, for example, South Africa in in the 1980s. So if we could demonstrate against apartheid there, maybe we need to start demonstrating for our fellow human beings over in Australia. It is a global issue now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on top of these COVID lockdowns, COVID camps, uh, COVID destroying the economy, COVID transferring all the wealth to the very top, the yeah. billionaire uh, oligarch elite. Uh, then we have the climate lockdowns on the way, according to our next story anyway. 
Uh, apparently, the, according to this story uh, from the Activist Post, the Global Environment Fund, uh, with the help of Edmund de Rothschild, has mobilized billions of dollars. They're aiming at $100 billion per year to create a natural asset corporation or corporations that would hold the rights to so-called ecosystem services on given chunks of land, apparently not respecting national borders. And so, you know, Trump wanted to buy Greenland for the USA. Well, now Bezos, Gates, and Bloomberg want to buy it for their uh, ecosystem fund. Uh, once again, the oligarchs are just grabbing up everything, and now they're using the climate crisis as their excuse. In the next slide, we have Terry Maison's uh, sort of skeptical story about <clears throat> the, uh, the COP26, United Nations Climate Change Conference. Uh, so, Lucy, are they going to be locking down the world using climate change as an excuse alongside COVID? Mm. I mean, this is fascinating because, I mean, I did my my undergraduate and my postgraduate degree in environmental studies. So I, I have some memory of the IPCC and some of these institutions like the Global Environment Facility that you've mentioned. And we were never taught, of course, that what's going on now is a long planned event by these Morthusians and that essentially what they they seek to do is to transform the natural world into natural asset corporations to allow the economic transition uh, to essentially what they're doing is priming the global economy for a great reset uh, which is going to lead to an age of continuous lockdowns and austerity as global financial institutions commoditize every resource on the planet and of course, they're doing this through Agenda 2030, which is being implemented at local level and which was very well documented by Rosa Kwa, who we sadly lost earlier this year. But it's interesting to see that the Rothschilds are behind this, of course. In the first article on India, uh, they talk about the Chicago Climate Exchange, which was set up uh, but but actually failed in 2010. It was supposed to be a sort of cap and cap and trade system for greenhouse gas uh, emissions. But it, it died in 2010. And they said after that that what it needed was a global governing body to enforce and regulate it. And then finally, and that was one of the employees of the Rothschild Bank who said that at the time. And just a year later, just a year, funnily enough, the UN published their strategy to avoid climate catastrophe as part of what they called the Global Green, Green New Deal. So that was would have been 2011. And the next phase of this agenda is going to begin in 2022 uh, with the, the, the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, uh, which was launched by Mark Carney. And, you know, the people behind this, they, they're all central bankers, people like Mark Carney, um, Janet Yellen, Michael Bloomberg, David Rockefeller's foundation, and John Kerry. And so they've created, the Rockefellers have created a new asset class called Natural Asset Corporations, NACs. And they seek to, they want to purchase all natural assets that are currently global common goods, essentially. So they want to privatize carbon, uh, air, for example, water, lake fish, Etc. It could be, you know, as I, I think they use the example in the um, article, it could be the air above a t Tibetan mountain or you know, water from a local environment on a Tibetan mountain, for example. So this is, you know, this is horrifying. It's, it's again, it's what they tried to do with the genetically modified 
organisms and the, the way that they were modifying seeds was that they tried to slightly change them and then through the WTO uh, they make agreements that, that these private corporations then own these slightly modified um, seeds and so on. But, but now it's going a step further into our basic resources, which have always been part of the, the global commons and the common good. I thought I thought the um, Thierry My Son piece, I think I know it's not in the last week, but I thought it was also a very, very good piece to give the big issue picture about this hundred billion US dollars of investment and what this is really all about. Because I know a lot of people who think of themselves as environmentalists who are, who are very in favour of climate change mitigation measures, but have absolutely no idea of this going on in the background and are not really very keen to do the research to understand that, that this is going on in, in the background, unfortunately. It's all part of the Great Reset. You know, if we if we do need a major transformation in the way we live to mm. try to deal with this and other environmental issues, obviously the way to do it is not to let the billionaires uh, control the process. Rather, we need to rise up against the billionaires and yeah. change it ourselves. Um, but unfortunately, these oligarchs are buying up everything, not just the natural resources and so on, but they're buying up all of the housing. They're doing that here in the United States right now. Housing prices are ridiculously high because these investment firms and other representatives of the oligarchs are buying up the housing stock. It's happening in Barcelona uh, right. and uh, throughout Catalonia, apparently, and the Spaniards are rebelling. Um, they, people are being evicted. They can't pay their rents, and then they're... They're pressuring the local government to try to protect them. Um, so these economic effects of the oligarchs uh, buying up the entire planet are not going to be good for ordinary people. I mean, the the figurehead, Klaus Schwab, when he said, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, he really meant it. And, and they're really accelerating. He, 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 he would be happy. He would be happy. That we <laughs> exactly. Have. He and his mates will be happy. And by the way, his mother was a Rothschild, apparently. So yeah, well, that's what makes happy, happy. I guess. <laughs> yes. Well, all these people, I mean, the BlackRock, Vanguard, I think that the, the, you know, the chair of the World Economic Forum is Larry Fink from BlackRock. So they are seriously moving ahead with this agenda and we need to stop it. And so is there a populist movement rising up to stop this? Well, we had a sort of a pseudo populist movement following Donald Trump here in the USA. Uh, mm. I think Bojo's movement in, in the UK is even faker than, than Trump's movement. But uh, here's a, a piece from the mainstream that's blaming Trump for the missing three million workers uh, in our labor shortage. Apparently, there's a labor shortage and it's driving wages up. Oh, no, what a disaster. Now, instead of blaming Trump for uh, keeping the immigrants out and driving up wages because there aren't enough workers, maybe you should be praising him for that, actually, if you're a working class U.S. American who has seen uh, their standard of living totally trashed since the billionaire oligarchs decided to outsource all the manufacturing to China and other places a while back. Um, mm. you know, there are arguments for and against uh, different degrees of immigration reform and whatever the policy you want is, but the argument that it actually helps native workers to restrict the numbers of people coming across the border to compete with them for their jobs is a very strong argument. Yes, I mean, of course, it's not helped by the fact that lots of people are being paid to sit at home on this, what's going to become the universal basic income. So it's very difficult for businesses to, to get people to, to serve in restaurants and, and to do these jobs. So that's going to, to 
Well, if you, pay them, if you pay them more, mm-hmm. maybe they will. You know, the, the minimum wage today, if it had kept up with uh, inflation since mm-hmm. 1960, would be in the United States would be something like $35 an hour. Mm-hmm. And the if it had kept up with productivity, it'd be something like $75 an hour. I, I may be a little off with that, but not all that far off. So mm-hmm. the, yeah, the, the lower end of the working class has been utterly devastated by these policies designed mm-hmm. to channel all of the wealth up to the oligarchs. And um, I, so I, I kind of sympathize with people who are going on I strike. But, but you know, also oh. their, their jobs have been offshored to China, haven't they? So, um, you know, the, right. the oligarchs then, have made lots of money on the international global exchanges, while these people who used to do manufacturing have, have lost their jobs. And then, as you say, being pay, underpaid in respect of what, what's happened in terms of inflation over the last 30 years. I agree with you. And so this uh, has led to a lot of social discontent, as you can imagine, that if, yeah. if you erode people's standard of living, especially at the bottom end of society, there's going to be more crime and there's going to be anger and resentment. And so what are the oligarchs doing? They're channeling that into tribalism. They want the blacks mm-hmm. to hate the whites, the whites to hate the blacks, everybody to hate the Muslims. The only thing they don't want is for anybody to hate the Jews, but, you know, <laughs> maybe that some of them actually do want that, too. I don't know. Anyway, in the next slide, let's move on to all of the uh, the racial strife in America. So we we did we covered you know, two thirds of the show. We covered these kinds of COVID and lockdown issues. So now we can move on and go a little faster through these other stories. Um, latest uh, race strife event was Daryl Brooks is the villain of this mowing down people in Waukesha, Wisconsin, which is very close to where I used to live. I've spent lots of time in Waukesha. And uh, there's a big debate about whether he's a Black Lives Matter or, you know, anti-white uh, racist black guy. I talked about this with Randy Short on my show last night, a radio show. And the first story here about this is suggesting it could be one of these staged false flags. I looked at that a little bit. I didn't see the evidence supporting that very strongly. And then in the next slide, we had uh, this um, kind of white nationalist perspective from Eric Stryker uh, calling the perp a, uh, an evil black terrorist who hates white people. And, of course, all that does is just fan the flames of the racist area and get people hating the wrong people, at least in my opinion. Mm. What do you think, Lucy? Which um, which newspaper was that in? Uh, well, this one was was over at the Uns Review, where Ron Uns is okay. into free speech. He has a whole lot of these people, like white right. nationalist types, who couldn't publish anywhere else. Yes, well, I don't know because I haven't looked into this so much. I thought because you're you're much more local to that, uh, obviously living where you do. But um, did this chap preach violence against white people? I mean, there's a lot of there is a lot of rhetoric against white males in particular going on at the moment. There's a lot of university funding, particularly in the UK, for um, people who are doing, who are involved in academic studies that are very anti-white male, I would say. And as the mother of two boys, I um, I find that very concerning. And I, you know, I, I don't agree with it. And I think we need to understand that racism goes both ways because I think it's gone too far now against white males. Yeah, I actually agree. And, and I think that the victimization culture has gone overboard in a lot of ways. I think the black victimization culture probably has uh, in some ways more reason to uh, to be uh, annoyed <laughs> with uh, with with history and the current state of society than let's say the Jewish victimization culture, which is of course the uh, the king of all victimization cultures. They've mm. uh, done it for fun and profit better than anybody else. 
but a, a lot of these uh, cultures of victimization uh, have gone way too far. And I think you may be right, Lucy, that this toleration of hatred of white males and things like that actually might contribute to the atmosphere that leads idiots like this to run people down at parades. Um, so let, let's get to the verdicts around these racially charged incidents recently. Uh, Ahmed uh, Arbery was uh, killed by three guys who followed him in a pickup truck while he was jogging. They suspected him of being involved in burglaries, but nothing has ever been proved. And uh, they ended up accosting him with a shotgun and he apparently fought back and he ended up dead. He, so those three guys just got convicted. And that actually strikes me as probably the right verdict, just like the verdict in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. Um, so let's move to the next slide, which is Kyle Rittenhouse saying he supports the BLM movement, which is totally the opposite of everything the mainstream media has been telling us about this guy being such a white supremacist. seems mm -hmm. to me, Lucy, both these verdicts are pretty reasonable. If you look closely at what happened to Kyle Rittenhouse, it sure does look like self-defense, even if there was a tragic misunderstanding that the two of the people that went after him did it because they thought he was a, a kind of a, a, a you know, a, an aggressive killer rather than a self-defense killer. And then with Ahmed Aubrey, he didn't start that problem. He was just, jog he was jogging. Even if he was a burglar, he was still just jogging. And these three guys came after him uh, with a shotgun and a pickup truck. And if he uh, fought back that he probably was terrified for his life, those three guys did start the problem uh, and I don't think it was uh, it was Kyle Rittenhouse who started that problem so much. Uh, so, frankly, I think these verdicts look reasonable to me and kind of a vindication of the American jury system. I thought the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict was correct. Uh, I didn't watch it all. I have a friend who watched the entire trial and um, it does seem like it was it was certainly a case of self-defense. I think it's really disgraceful the way that your political establishment sought to try to sort of pre preempt the outcome of that trial so absolutely disgraceful should that was a happen. witch a media led witch hunt yeah absolutely yeah. ridiculous um but uh, i don't know about the armored arbory one was that how where did that happen in relation to the killing of of that guy who um was the the police officer put his knee on his neck i forget his name floyd oh, george floyd George yeah george floyd what month was, was that he died in, in Minneapolis, and and so this Ahmed Aubrey case. This happened in Georgia, I believe, and I think the trial was moved over to South right. Carolina. Okay, uh, but but, uh, yeah, but I mean, obviously, the timing of that February twenty twenty, it could be quite significant. I, I can't quite remember when the George Floyd thing happened. Was it before the lockdown, the first lockdown, or after it, or around that time? Uh, yeah, I think I think it was right in the first lockdown, actually. And, okay. and a lot of people yeah. commented that it was strange that these huge BLM demonstrations were totally tolerated in the midst of this lockdown of everybody else. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, but yes, I mean, I, I mean, I, my impression of when I lived in New York, I mean, I had a, a white police officer on my doorstep um, with a gun in his holster and it was dark and I had two young kids in the house and um, he was pretty aggressive with me. So, I, you know, I, I, you know, police can be aggressive with black people and with white people. Um, so, and I, and I experienced that myself. Uh, so. Yeah, me too, actually. Yeah I, don't, yeah. I don't think that these, these sort of catch all kind of ideas about things are necessary, necessarily very helpful. On the other hand, Kyle Rittenhouse might have a point when he said, you know, if I were black and I'd been in a situation, the prosecutor, you know, the, the way the prosecutor uh, treated me unjustly might have been even worse. And I might not mm -hmm. have been able to raise the bail money and so on and so forth. So he, he actually 
is so far from being an extremist white racist type that it's yeah. not even funny. Um, and so maybe he'll have some pretty good lawsuit uh, grounds to go after some of the people who've libeled him, including possibly President Biden. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> so, okay, moving on to more of these uh, allegedly mm. racially charged issues. There's uh, hammer gangs are smashing windows in the Bay Area. Mm. Uh, supposedly a 2014 law that downgraded the theft of less than a thousand bucks of property to a misdemeanor is partly responsible. And the local DA, the Soros DA, doesn't prosecute shoplifters. So I guess hammering in the windows is just a form of shoplifting. And of course, this is this ties into the whole narrative about, oh, is black crime out of control? Should we unleash the police, say the sort of the white national side and then the, the BLM side. No, the police are the ones out of control. Um, but, you know, when you get this kind of crime, then so eventually you get a public outcry for the police to go out of control in their war against it. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like the defund the police is working out very well. Uh, and I, apparently they're still, yeah, it's the third day, it says here. And they, they went, they what, 28 cars they had and it, they, they looted these shops in, inside a couple of minutes. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I was actually staying, I was staying just off Union Square when I uh, flew to the Bay Area last September for the 9-11 Truth Film Festival. And Mm. so I I didn't get to see anything this exciting. Uh, Mm. All I got to see were the usual junkies and winos and stuff uh, wandering around, which is, I guess, part of the charm of San Francisco these days. Anyway, uh, (laughs) next racially charged issue, um, tearing down the Thomas Jefferson statue at New York City Hall. De Blasio's wife and Mm. the local black staff complained because Jefferson was a slave owner, as were all the uh, uh, pretty much the powerful people in those days. Uh, So the statue is down. What do you think about this tearing down all the statues because the people uh, who are immortalized in stone were pretty much just people of their time? And we're a different Mm. time and we don't tolerate what they did in their time. So we have to tear down all the statues. I, I don't quite understand that logic. I think this idea of erasing history is very dangerous. And it, to me, what's going on with all of this, it, it reminds me of the Bolsheviks, basically. And I think that to say that it needs to be taken down because it makes her feel uncomfortable, uncomfortable. It makes her sound like Marie Antoinette herself, actually. Um, so I, I think it's, it's really all of this is, it's going to be, it's going to lead to the suicide of the United States because the next thing, is that it's going to be your constitution and, and the, these statues and the constitution and the founding fathers are what the United States stands on. It's what, it's what has made the United States a country that so many people want to go to, to go and live in and has been the basis of the success of the U.S. So to have these people like this, um, Mrs. Marie Antoinette de Blasio saying that it makes her feel uncomfortable. It's absolutely pathetic. I mean, she should she should uh, maybe go and live somewhere else if if that's her feeling. But yeah, um, well, as, yeah, as we tear down our heritage and tear down our history, the United States is backsliding. Uh, yeah. And even the mainstream media uh, and, and their think tanks admit that. In our next slide, we see this European think tank telling mm-hmm. us that the United States has fallen victim to authoritarian tendencies. But they're blaming it on Trump. I don't think it's just Trump. I think the authority, oh. the anti-Trump authoritarians are at least as bad. Oh, it's pathetic just to blame it on Trump. I mean, this has been building up for years. It's It's been, uh, you know, I mean, in the UK, this is happening in many countries. In, in the United Kingdom, for example, uh, the way the political system works now is our MPs no longer represent their constituents. They're selected centrally by the party and then farmed out to the constitu- constituencies. So if they actually dare to represent the, the people who elect them, 
they just get deselected because they've got to represent the party machine, which is, of course, controlled by uh, the central banks and the Friends of Israel and, and so on. So um, this, is, this is by no means limited to the United States, unfortunately. And one of the reasons the U.S. is backsliding is because we allow our real journalists to be consigned to the oblivion, <laughs> the you know black hole, memory hole. The real yeah. journalists, people like Glenn Greenwald, who was outraged about the media completely covering up the Hunter Biden laptop story, uh, and that led to him leaving uh, Omidyar, the billionaire Omidyar's uh, uh, publication. Uh, Chris Hedges, Matt Tyvee, uh, the uh, Julian Assange, Stephen Cohen. The top mm. Russia expert until he started being a little too reasonable about Russia and suddenly he was, he was a Kremlin bot or something and he got purged. They've purged all these people like they purged Sidney Schomburg to a certain extent, one of the greatest journalists of his time who uh, broke the story of John McCain being part of this cover up of U.S. POWs being held, uh, for more than a decade in Vietnam, uh, totally denied by the U.S. government, which didn't want to have to pay the ransom and was willing to let hundreds of American POWs die in Vietnam rather than pay the ransom. And one of the biggest scandals in history, he exposed it and then it just got erased. And Nicholas Wade today on the origins of COVID, William Odom, the former NSA whistleblower. Mm -hmm. uh, And then back in the old days, Ron Unz points out, uh, we had, this reminds us of the 1940s purges when the top journalists in America, John T. Flynn, Harry Elmer Barnes, uh, Charles Beard, and their heroes uh, like Charles Lindbergh, that whole current, all those people who were at the top before that suddenly were just erased from history. And he also mentions David Irving, one of the great World War II historians. He's been erased as well. So they're erasing history by erasing our best journalists and writers. Well, who is this they? I'm not even sure we're allowed to ask that question. Mm. Well, of course, there is that famous graph of the how many media companies you had in the 1980s and how that has consolidated from about 80 companies in the in the 1980s down to about four companies. Was it back in 2005? So it's probably even less companies that control all the local newspapers in the United States, all the TV stations, radio stations and everything. So it's no surprise that this has affected democracy because they're all. You know, to be a journalist these days, if you're going to work for one of these publications and pay a mortgage and so on, you're, you have to, they play the game and they self-censor and they, they know what stories not to go near. And I, I, I heard Matt Tybee this morning being interviewed by Chris Hedges, uh, on RT, I think it was. And he was talking about, I think it was embedded in that piece. And he talks about how they will, you know, New York Times has changed so much, it's become so bad these days that they will very willingly go and promote the Steele dossier, which is based on completely fake evidence. And yet they won't for years that they sustain these nonsense stories. But then something like Hunter Biden's laptop or the Podesta emails, they'll just completely ignore it, cover it up and um smear people who do try to cover it. So but but, you know, I, I have enormous respect for Glenn Greenwald, but uh, he hasn't done anything on COVID uh, recently, and I don't think he touches 9-11 either, and it's the no, same I'll, with Chris Hedges. Of, yeah, all, all of these guys, yeah, Chris Hedges, Glenn Greenwald, Matt Tybee, they're all uh, completely out to lunch uh, yeah. on 9-11. They're, yeah. well, Tybee is actually the worst. Limited hangout, basically. So Yeah, yeah. so what's that about? Um, so, exactly. Yeah these, yeah, these guys are not exactly the uh, biggest heroes of the day, but... Yeah. 
um, they may be better than much of the competition. It's well, been what, nice what... to see Matt Tybee push back against the British MI6 propagandist um, Luke Harding, Harding in The Guardian. Mm-hmm. But uh, an idea is to have, I, I always feel grateful to him when he does that. But, uh, you know, you're right. They Where what, where are they on, on the big issues of the day? Yeah, the very Nine biggest ones. COVID. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the biggest. Some of the, many of the biggest ones, not all, but uh, many of them involve Israel. And there, mm-hmm. there are red lines there. And um, yeah. you just can't talk about Israel-related issues, honestly, especially the really covered up ones like 9-11, which had an Israeli element behind it, uh, the JFK mm-hmm. assassination and the RFK assassination, both of which had Israeli elements behind them as well. Um, just saying that gets you labeled as some kind of extremist, uh, anti-Semitic mm-hmm. maniac. But if you actually look at the evidence, it is there. And mm-hmm. so we, we aren't supposed to talk honestly about the U.S. war on Iran which is being driven by Israel because Israel owns America's foreign policy in that region. And this uh, New York Times piece at least has the honesty to point out that the Iranians are just building back better. Every time Israel goes and murders a, a scientist, the Iranians still have 20 new scientists coming up through their system. Every time Israel blows up some machinery, uh, the Iranians build better machinery. And now they've got stuff to refine Uranium that's is going to refine it a hundred times faster than what the Israelis blew up. So the Israelis are shooting themselves in the foot, and uh, they own the, they completely own the uh, Trump administration. In the next slide, uh, we see this expose about a war within the military and Trump administration about whether they should follow Trump's orders to uh, basically set a, a, a process in motion that was going to lead to war with Iran. Uh, that's this Yahoo News story. Uh, please advance the slide, Alan. And um, apparently General Frank McKenzie was on the Iran hawk side, and General Mark Milley was trying to slow down this uh, rush to war uh, with Iran. So, you know, a lot of people think Trump is some kind of pro-America guy or populist. Uh, what a joke. Trump was owned by Bibi Netanyahu, lock, stock, and barrel. Trump was a kosher Nostra frontman from the get-go. He's a made man by Roy Cohn, head of the New York kosher Nostra, who ran New York on behalf of Meyer Lansky, who issued orders to J. Edgar Hoover, who in turn issued orders to Roy Cohn. And Roy Cohn controlled what happened in the New York judicial system. Um, And we're not allowed to talk about any of this stuff. And a lot of uh, brainwashed idiots still think that Trump was the uh, great hope of America, when in fact he was a a slave of the most corrupt forces that have enslaved America. Yes, Shabbat, wasn't it? Shabbat Lebovich? They're they're definitely part of the picture, yeah. Yes. Yeah, Jared and Shabbat, yeah. It seems like there are two factions in Israeli politics. So one is... One is a little bit more nationalist and the other more globalist, which is the, the Soros crowd and, and mm-hmm. so on. Yeah, so, they kind of work together. Yeah, 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 I'm sure. Yeah, depending and, on you know, it's, it's, Speaking of, of uh, Israeli meddling in American politics and global politics, how about Jeffrey Epstein, uh, the Israeli <laughs> intelligence agent? He worked for Israel's DIA, collecting dirt on top-level Americans, including presidents and other uh, very top of the line people. So that's why Israel owns America is, you know, mm-hmm. Epstein has, he has all kinds of dirt on Trump, all kinds of dirt on the Clintons and everybody else. Uh, and here's the New York Times, uh, all the Israelis think fit to print telling us that, oh, he really did hang himself. Uh, here we have some source from the prison who thinks he probably really did hang himself. So he must have really <laughs> hanged himself. He can't believe it. And this is happening at the same moment as we see in the next slide that, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, is is her trial is heating up 
she could face up to 80 years in prison. And the witness, Virginia Griefer, however you pronounce it, says that she was trafficked to Prince Andrew, Alan Dershowitz, Bill Richardson, George Mitchell, uh, Marvin Minsky, and many others. This was all part of uh, Epstein's Israeli <laughs> blackmail ring. And the mainstream mm-hmm. media will never tell you that this was all done so that Israel can own the top governments of the West. Uh, and why won't they tell you that? Because guess who owns the media? Exactly. So I doubt we'll see much truth in this piece by Vanity Fair because uh, Maria Farmer, who was another victim, I think she was working more as a, she was doing some internal art in his houses, Jeffrey Epstein's houses with, with Ghislaine there in the background. But there's an interesting interview with Maria Farmer by Whitney Webb, where Farmer talks about how Vanity Fair blocked the journalist who was trying to, to do this story years ago, maybe 15 years ago. Uh, because the evidence was there to do this, the story on, on the Epstein, uh, case all that, all that way back. But, um, th- I think Maria Farmer was even intimidated by Graydon yeah. Carter. Yeah, she, yeah, she was there was a female editor who was at the Vanity Fair. So, and they, of course, all these people, they were all whining and dining in, in New York and Manhattan with, with Jelaine and, and Jeffrey and all these people. And by the way, I really, I doubt he killed himself. I, I just haven't seen any evidence uh, to show that he did. And um, I think that the fact that they've they've put the story out there now, it's kind of like they do protest too much. They just want to re reiterate that that is the narrative that we all have to follow because they, they don't want, I, I reckon he's probably in Israel somewhere. He's needed to curate all of that information that they have on all these people. He's got a so new job as a curator. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, moving on to mass shootings, money news. Alex Jones is begging for money. Well, that's not much of a news story. That's like, hey, the Pope is Catholic. Hey, what else is new? Alex Jones is begging for money. Well, he's begging for money to defend himself in these Sandy Hook lawsuits. He just got slapped with what is 130 or I don't know, some huge judgment. So uh, good luck with that, Alex. Uh, he's going to have to sell a lot more male enhancement supplements to pay that. But seriously, folks, actually, I kind of hate to see anybody, including Alex Jones, whose coverage of the world events is actually better and more accurate than the New York Times, which isn't saying much. hate to see Mm -hmm. anybody being shut down for whatever reason like this. Um, And uh, then in the next mass shootings money news story, the Justice Department is going to pay $130 million to the Parkland shooting victims. Um, over allegedly ignoring tips that the alleged lone gunman, Nicholas Cruz, might do something like this. Uh, 17 people were said to be killed, 17 more injured, and questions have been raised about this shooting. I'm kind of agnostic about most of those questions, but I did see that more so even than Sandy Hook, uh, there were interesting questions about what may have happened here. Some of these things may actually be professional jobs, not just crazy lone gunmen. Uh, at least that's my interpretation. What do you think was yeah, I think there are many questions that need still to be answered, both about um, Parkland and about Sandy Hook. And I, I suspect that both these stories are a way of cementing in the public mind. I mean, Alex Jones, maybe that's to ensure that other journalists uh, back off doing these types of stories. I think of he's course. been quite brave in trying to cover this, but slapping him with, with you know, this huge fine uh, is not going to encourage others to, to, to do these difficult stories. And the fact that they're talking about paying out this 130 million, I mean, potentially it's just some cynical way of cementing in the public mind the idea that there is no case to answer and that the official story 
was actually what happened. But, you know, we, we, the courts don't always work well. And um, there's been far too much smearing and censorship, again, on these stories as well, which is okay. no good to anyone. Well, when you, when you get tired of mass shootings uh, happening on a seemingly weekly, biweekly basis, um, go, go back to farming. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Voltaire said, cultivate your garden. And that's what they're doing in India now after the farmers' rebellion forced the Indian government to repeal three agriculture laws that the farmers were protesting against. There were tractor rallies, blocked highways, encampments, uh, total mm-hmm. farmer rebellion. And uh, so they actually changed the government policy. And one more farming-related story here, uh, a piece from the activist Post urging people to follow the proximity principle and get your food from as close to where you live as you possibly can. I certainly follow that where I, I grow a, a very high proportion of what I eat more than, for more than seven or eight months a year in uh, in raised beds uh, here in southwestern Wisconsin. So, hey, uh, I'm all for the proximity principle. And, and you picked this story, Lucy. What are your thoughts about this? Yes, and I think it's going to be increasingly important if we're potentially going to escape this technocratic QR code matrix that's planned for us, that we start to develop relationships with farmers and and small businesses locally and hope that they're not all forcing us to use a a QR code to um, to, in order to buy to buy our goods, as, as some of these large corporations are doing. And of course, it's much better for the environment and for your health if you buy food that's been grown locally. And again, this is by Julian Rose of the of the Hardwick Alliance in in the UK, and he's been, he's an organic farmer and and he's he's he, he knows what he's talking about on this. Yeah, well, I, I think it's it's this kind of stuff where r- ordinary people can actually find ways to live in a more environmentally sound manner. That's what's going to save us. It's not going to be the billionaires mm-hmm. and oligarchs uh, herding us into camps and buying up all the resources and saying they own them. Uh, that's not going to work. That's just going to lead to chaos and uh, and suffering and strife. Speaking of chaos and suffering and strife, I guess lobsters and crabs suffer. If you have any locally sourced or non-locally sourced lobsters and crabs, don't boil them. They are sentient beings, according to a new UK report. Um, so, Lucy, I take it you're going to be uh, boycotting the lobster dish at the local restaurant that won't let you in without a COVID pass. Well, I, I won't be able to go to the restaurant anyway because I don't have a COVID pass. <laughs> Although I don't think that's quite reached the UK. Let's hope that um, that they don't introduce that, that there's more pushback. But uh, I think they're definitely going to try. OK, well, whether or not lobsters and crabs are sentient beings, uh, it's pretty clear that, that humans are and they need to be protected against uh, the predators who are messing with us with these apparently uh, bioengineered germ warfare plagues. Uh, like the latest one out of South Africa that we earlier mentioned, if that's real, which I think it probably is, uh, all of those mutations would suggest that it didn't just arise naturally, just like COVID didn't just arise naturally. Uh, and they're finding smallpox files in people's refrigerator, well, in the CDC refrigerator. So I did a little parody of that story, imagining Bill Gates finding a smallpox vial in his refrigerator and having to apologize for it. Um, so that's our final story of the day. Uh, Lucy, I, I, I hope this story is satire like so many of my other satires, but I'm never quite sure. I'm afraid I don't think it is, actually. (laughs) I think that he's got other things up his sleeve that might involve smallpox. 
Yeah. I, if you actually poked around in his refrigerator, you know, mm. heaven only knows what you might find. Well, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much, Lucy Morgan Edwards. It's always wonderful doing the show with you. Keep up the great work. God Thank bless. Uh, good luck with that referendum tomorrow in Switzerland. Uh, may Allah be on your side. And let's strike a blow against these psychopathic predator billionaire oligarchs and uh, come back and hear how it went next week on False Flight Weekly News. So thanks, uh, Alan, the producer, all the viewers. See you next time. Thanks, Kevin.